Welcome to PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and your time is valuable and so is mine, and that's why I release these really brief episodes. Today, we're going to focus on nosebleeds, and if you've worked in the pediatric ER, you have seen a child with a nosebleed. Now, in the biz, we call this epistaxis, and it's actually a relatively common presenting complaint to the ED. About a third of kids zero to five years of age are going to have a nosebleed. And kids older than five, well, about 50% chance that they've had a nosebleed as well. And it happens all year round, not just in the winter, but we typically do see it in the winter because the air is drier and the nasal mucosae are a bit more friable. And that friable mucosa and its rich blood supply are why the nose bleeds so readily. The anterior nares has the Kesselbox plexus, which kind of sounds like a place that they visited on Star Trek, but it's just a net of blood vessels in the anterior nares, and it's the site of most bleeding in pediatrics. So if most nosebleeds in kids are anterior, well, what about posterior nosebleeds? Well, fortunately, that's pretty rare, and that's usually from the sphenopalatine artery, and those bleeds can lead to airway compromise and are more often seen in trauma, children with bleeding disorders, or that have had recent ENT procedures. Before I get into specific etiologies, just note that most nosebleeds that come to the emergency department in children don't really need much in the way of interventions, just a little bit of pressure, maybe some afrin, and education to the patients and family. Most of the nosebleeds I see have already stopped and the family's just concerned about them. The concerns range from it just keeps happening to I hope he didn't lose enough blood or that the bleeding could be representative of something bad going on inside the head or brain. Just taking time to ask the parents, what are you worried about and how can I help you? Goes a long way in providing reassurance about a really minor complaint. So what causes nosebleeds? Well, direct trauma. That could be getting punched in the nose or just picking your nose rhinosinusitis, allergic rhinitis, a virus, or retained foreign body are all common causes of epistaxis in pediatric patients. There are some concerning etiologies like bleeding disorder, that's hemophilia, which hopefully you know that the child has it before coming in because of newborn screening. Von Willebrand's disease may present with multiple nosebleeds, and there could be a family history that would clue you in. Now, that doesn't mean you have to work up every kid that's had a few nosebleeds for Von Willebrand's. You should consider a child for a bleeding disorder if they've had multiple episodes of recurrent epistaxis, especially if it's been severe or persistent or difficult to control, if there's a strong family history, or obviously if they have an abnormal physical exam like they're pale, they have petechiae, they have splenomegaly. That's not going to be von Willebrand's. And it's rare, but you could have a mass in the nasopharynx, like an angiofibroma or hemangioma that causes bleeding. And these kids usually present with nasal obstruction, daily one-sided epistaxis, and they're most often teenage males. And you could diagnose these with imaging or having ENT do a scope. All right. So how do we manage nosebleeds and how do we educate parents on how to manage nosebleeds in the pediatric emergency department? 
obviously start with the ABCs, right? But this podcast is presuming that the kid is fine and the nose is just bleeding. Make them sit upright. Swallowing blood leads to an upset stomach, which leads to throwing up. You really want a good source of light to be able to, to look at the nose. And so in a pinch, yeah, see what I did there? Yeah, you can use your flashlight on your phone, but you really want a good headlamp, a nasal speculum, something that'll let you get a better look inside the nose. And you're going to look for foreign bodies, masses, and the source of the bleeding. And if that nose is still bleeding, well, how about some PPE, like a gown and goggles or a face mask? Make sure the patient can blow their nose, or if they can't, suction it out to get as much congealed blood out of the nasal passages if possible. That's going to allow compression to be more effective. So if you see something that's obvious, like one spot of bleeding, you could do direct cautery or topical therapies such as vasoconstrictors like Afrin or even nasal TXA. But in my practice, it's usually more diffuse bleeding. So suction out the nose or have the patient blow out the nose and put in a couple of sprays of Afrin. You're going to want to have the parent or a team member compress the anterior aspect of the nose, the soft parts, for 10 to 15 minutes without interruption. And this is where I see things go wrong at home most often. Patients will lean their head back instead of forward, and a parent will press on the bony part of the nose, the nasal bridge. This does nothing. So in addition to actually managing the nosebleed, you're providing education on how to manage it should it occur again in the future by having the child lean their head forward, sit upright, and compress the anterior portion of the nose. They should hold it so that they talk like a Muppet. I don't know why I did that. I'm holding my nose and doing a podcast, but I think you can visualize what I just did there. If you hold pressure for 15 minutes and it's still bleeding, well, hold pressure for 15 to 30 minutes more. Nasal packing or other interventions is fortunately less commonly needed in children than adults, but in that nose that is still bleeding, you're either going to have a source that's going to need to be cauterized, or this child is going to require anterior nasal packing. And let me tell you, this is not fun, right? So it's uncomfortable and it's annoying, and so a medicine like ketamine might be helpful in here in order to help you get that packing in. So you can put anterior nasal packing, and there's lots of different types of nasal tampons and, and commercially available treatments. You can put that in and take a look in 30 minutes to see if they're still bleeding. But once you take that out, they could bleed, though. And you would apply this again with a topical vasoconstrictor or topical TXA. Now, posterior nasal packing for those rare posterior bleeds, that's a whole different story. These kids got to come into the hospital. They should get empiric antibiotics. And frankly, this needs ENT to do it. But if I've got a kid in which anterior packing has failed, well, then I will call ENT. Fortunately, it's rare for a kid to go that far down the management algorithm. And that's all about if the kid's actually bleeding. And frankly, most of the kids I see in the ER, the nose bleeding has already stopped. So just like before, gown up, put on that face shield, and look for excoriations or sources of bleeding. Teach the parents how to manage it at home. Right? Often a common complaint, again, is that the nose was bleeding and it wouldn't stop, but if you ask how pressure was held, you often find that it was not applied correctly. And then home supportive care? Well, you could use Afrin twice a day 
for three days, but don't go longer because it can have the opposite effect and increase nasal congestion. Advise the family to limit digital trauma, so sticking fingers or other things up there. Limit excessive blowing of the nose. You can use nasal saline or an antibiotic ointment to help keep things moisturized, but don't use petroleum jelly because you can inhale that, and because it's hydrophobic, you can get a pneumonia. And again, just make sure that you answer the patient and family's questions. You don't need a CBC to see how much blood they've lost. You don't need head imaging to see where the blood's coming from. Explain anatomy. Explain why the bleeding happens. And that helps parents understand that it's going to be okay and they can manage it at home. All right. Well, that's all for this epistaxisode on nosebleeds. Anyway, hopefully you can manage these in the emergency department, in your clinic, in your urgent care, and provide anticipatory guidance to families and answer some of the concerns that they might have. If you have any feedback on this episode, you can shoot me an email. Hit me up on Twitter at PemTweets via direct message. Leave a comment on PemBlog or a message through Facebook. I welcome all your feedback. Send it my way. And if there's other topics that you want to hear in these short episodes, just let me know. I'll get to recording. For Pem Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Soboleski. See you next time.